0: hello hello is this really ben this
1: is really ben but a better question is is this really my call recorder is, <laughs> oh well that was weird I, th- I think i'm recording i think i'm recording now
0: okay i'm yes i'm, I'm definitely recording and it looks like both channels
1: holy smokes mine's working Yay. I don't, um, Don. I think it's time for a new MacBook Pro. <laughs>
0: yeah, because according to um, to to by my records here on my uh, on my phone, hold on, give me one second. Um, your um, let's see, your app was bouncing for about um, eight minutes to load yes. the app.
1: Yes, about eight minutes would be uh, would be correct. And then I even went to a backup uh, MacBook Air. And uh, realized that uh, didn't have call recorder on it, so I had Skype, <laughs> couldn't record anything. Had to wait for the bouncing to stop.
0: Well, you know what would have been what would have been great, um, but I think somebody already bid on it. Was this this new uh, this new red uh, Mac Pro? Ooh. Did you did you hear about that? No. Oh I don't know yeah, this. it's uh, it's was for AIDS awareness, and it was it sold for slightly less than a million dollars.
1: Oh okay, um, slightly well, slightly less than my, uh, slightly more than my budget.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm uh, I'm not quite in that uh, in that arena for for a MacBook Pro. Um, for other things. well, it's a good thing
0: because that one sold.
1: Well, it's good, I, and I didn't even know about it. But I mean, I can't I, believe you didn't know about that. Oh, I didn't know about it. I was this like, I mean, for World AIDS Awareness Day was uh, was last or late last week or t- yesterday or. Over the weekend, yes, it Some, was. But yes. the
0: the this was for Soth- Sotheby's um, uh, bon- Bono's Project Red. I know you and Bono hang out, but maybe he, he didn't he didn't mention that.
1: No, we we just talk about guitar licks and <laughs> and glasses. So this didn't this didn't come up in our in our weekly discussion. I do another podcast with him,
0: <laughs>
1: Bono and Ben. That's
0: pretty good. It's not as good as this one.
1: No, no, it's not. It's not even close to as good as this one. But it's not bad. I mean, it's not. It's not my favorite podcast that I do.
0: Well, that's good.
1: <laughs> oh, don, 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 don.
0: So uh, we'll we'll link we'll link to the red uh, MacBook Pro. Um. And uh, and so pe- if anybody wants to also lament the fact that they they didn't buy it and and also just so you know bonoandben.com, it's available it's available <laughs> in, case, it's- in case you ever stop doing start doing that podcast somewhere other than your own mind
1: <laughs> well we try I mean it's it, my mind's probably got more more listeners <laughs> uh, than than what I'd be able to uh, to garner on on the interwebs. Oh, Don! Don, it's a sad day. It is a sad day. I'm, we, you, and I have exchanged some texts and some emails. I'm like, I don't know. I'm sad. I, yeah. um, so for for the listeners who don't know what what is sort of going on, uh, a I, I don't know if we can if we can call him a friend of the show, but definitely a uh, a, a guy who is very. Uh, well known in the food safety world, uh, Bill Keene, We've mentioned his work multiple times on this show. The, the show is a friend of him. If, if
0: he's yes. not a friend of the, was not a friend of the show, so yeah,
1: yeah. exactly. He uh, he passed away yesterday, and uh, and it's and it's kind of like this shocking thing because because the guy's not um, w- w- you know Bill wasn't wasn't really old. I didn't actually know him. I've never met him personally, but we exchanged emails a bunch of times. And, um, and I, you know, you and I sort of discussed this offline, but I've got a bunch of notes in the show notes to, to sort of talk about some of the influences he had on the, the world of food safety. But he, uh, um, I, I don't think there was a sort of better, more, I don't know, you hate to put like think platitudes on these things, but I'll go ahead and say, I don't think there's like a better, more important, um, epidemiologist that I've interacted with. Uh, than, than him. And, it, it, and, it, like I said, my, my interactions with him are, were pretty, pretty, uh, uh, online only, and, and just uh, exchanging information about outbreaks and uh, insights that he had on on certain things going on. But anyway, I'm I'm like sad. I'm sad that you know stuff like this happens, but it happens. I mean, right? Like I, this. Is, we'll, we'll get into the phil, phil, the philosophic discussion about life and death uh, la, later on in the, in the in the podcast, I'm sure. But it's just you know things like this kind of hit you, or at least hit me unexpectedly um hard sometimes emotionally so i'm sad i'm sad today i hope that doesn't impact my my performance
0: yeah no and and and, right and i i didn't know the guy except through our discussions about him on the show never met him actually until uh until i saw Bill marler's post never even knew what the guy looked like and i was just sort of picturing this sort of be speckled button down guy. And he, he wasn't at all. He looked like he was just kind of like a, you know, like a little bit of a free spirit, kind of, kind of looking like a little bit like a hippie there with the the picture on, uh, on, on Marler's website there. And, and just, yeah, I mean, I'm, and I I just miss him all the more now knowing that uh, that I'll never have a chance to meet him. So, and it it sounds like it was the, was very sudden. Yeah. Which also makes it tough. I think.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And you know we we talked a little bit about this in um in a couple of episodes ago uh about Pete Snyder and you know that Pete uh Pete's in his mid 80s and and still uh, such quite a, a you know important mind in the in the world of food safety and in his retirement how, you know how that kind of shakes you know, it, um, uh, you know me and my sort of personal stuff because it's always got to be about me, right, Don? This is me lamenting and being all uh, weird, but, um, <laughs> but this, you know, Bill, Bill passing away is this other kind of same situation in my mind where this is not just, it, it, you know, you you don't just lose the the knowledge and the creativity and the the really good epidemiology. You lose this this individual who who from afar and not even in person ever meeting people was, was absolutely a mentor and made you made me think about things in a different way in in sort of in awe of his problem solving skills and just being able to present new information. That's important that, that how that impacts the extension and communication and research work that I do on a daily basis, and I don't mean to to be sort of trite on that, but there there are multiple things that uh, that I've gleaned from his quotes and, and the work that he's done that that absolutely impact me, and and that's the, you know what what stuff like this reminds me of is that we're all um, you know just normal people and not just these uh, you know. Um, Faceless folks that that we get information from, and he's such a nice guy over email and and i'm I'm saddened like you uh that i'll they'll never get to sort of meet this guy because I think I would have enjoyed his company um based on on our email exchanges so I
0: don't know yeah, and I didn't didn't know too much about him until uh, again uh, Bill Marler linked to the uh, our, an article from the Oregonian from about three years ago, and we were we were really contemporaries, and and you know not not that I knew him from going to meetings and and such, but we we both uh, only ever had one job. We both started our only only jobs in 1989, and he was he was with uh, Oregon Public Health from essentially from that point forward, which is about the same time um, that I've I've been at Rutgers, and so it really yeah I mean it really does it really does hit home uh, that uh, you know we're only all here for a little while and uh, we better make the most of it
1: yeah absolutely and and that um, that there you know hopefully there's some sort of you know legacy to your to your thoughts and, and to your work and, and the people that you touch over time and and, and you know I I'll, this it, it always kind of saddens me because you you know, maybe it makes you think about your own mortality and all those those cliches. But it's like, hey, this this guy um, this guy passed away and did such a great job, and and hopefully someone else can can continue on the things that and uh, things that he was doing and the thoughts that that he was having and and would can step up um, to be you know a, a good um, epidemiologist. But but who knows? I mean, maybe ten years from now we just kind of forget about. Uh, about them or or whatever you know like and, and that that's always part of the um part of the struggle it's like oh man it's all we're it's all here we're all here for for a short time, and this is turning into a totally different podcast by the way um <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where uh it, it kind of reminds you that you better. You better turn stuff out and do a good job and try to make impact and let people know that you're around, um, with the th- with the hopes that you can you can move this whole world uh, forward a little bit. So anyway, I'm a little demure this morning because of it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pep up a little bit as we go along. So, <laughs> I promise. I promised, Don. Thanks, Ben. Um. So. And I'm sniffling not because um, of my sadness, but because I have a little bit of a cold going on. So I apologize if I cough into the into the microphone directly. I'm going to do my best not to do so. Uh, and I've got. Uh, well, and we always talk about what we're drinking. So just so uh, everyone is clear, I have a, a bottle of water, um, Nestle Pure Life. And a coffee that I made myself uh, from, uh, uh, imported from the mules from Canada that, that uh, visited me this weekend. Not Tim Hortons this time, but a President's Choice blend, uh, West Coast blend, uh, Tassimo. So.
0: I, I didn't think you had presidents in Canada.
1: Wow. We have the pre- president of the coffee club. Okay. <laughs> it's his choice. The choice that he made is uh, I select. I, I side with him on many things. Speaking of which, Donna, this is to one of those non sequitur episodes, I think. Um, even in our student government in high school, so you know everybody's got school, student council, and you have elections, and I learned everything that I know about how that works in the U.S. from watching Napoleon Dynamite over and over again. Um, but in our school government, we don't have school presidents, or at least the school that I went to, but we had a school prime minister. And then there were portfolio positions as well. So you had the dance minister, the fundraising minister, the athletics ministers, um, just like uh, Canadian government. So, no, we don't have presidents, not even in in school, uh, in high school elections.
0: Just in coffee clubs.
1: Just in coffee clubs. Yeah. And in um, uh, uh, balding um, hair loss uh, clubs where people are not only uh, are they members, but they're the presidents. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or something like that
0: something like that
1: so um, so how are you we haven't I'm, we haven't talked we, we've pushed things a little bit uh, a couple of times for this illness that hit my family last week and uh, and then uh, last night uh, just uh, pushing things from a late night to a morning podcast but how are you how are things
0: I'm good we uh, I have also have a coffee beverage um, from our local uh cafe here in the food science building. So it's not particularly good, but, um, uh, it's, <laughs> but it's coffee it's, and the portions are so small. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it'll, it has the, the, the proper effect. So, uh, yeah, so we had a nice uh, Thanksgiving holiday. We went up to see my wife's family on Thanksgiving day as we do and then continued on to see my family um in uh, upstate New York and up uh, in the Ithaca area and uh posted, uh, on Facebook about eating at my favorite, uh, uh, restaurant there, our favorite restaurant, uh, which is the Moosewood vegetarian restaurant. And yeah, just a good time was had by all, uh, but it's good to be home. And, and when you had texted me about moving the time of the podcast from last night to this morning, I was definitely in favor of that just because it would, uh, um, it, it would have been a long day. I got up early, drove for five hours and then, uh, you know, unpacked and settled in at home and then it would have been it would have made it a long day to, to go and do a podcast on top of that so i was I was happy to move it to uh, to, to today
1: well good I'm glad about that I was also uh, uh, shut things down for four days over the weekend my parents were uh, visiting from Canada bringing coffee from the president's club and um, and yeah by the by the time I think it was either Saturday morning or or Sunday when I emailed, when I texted you, I was like, uh, I just want one more night. I'm just going to, I'm going to stay, stay quiet and then get back at it on Monday. Um, so that was my, my pure. And also, well, that plus Danny, since I've been traveling so much, um, I'm, you, you shared some of this with, uh, with us on a, on a previous podcast, but you know, you like to sit with your spouse and watch TV shows and movies and stuff like that. And she um, expressed to me that. We have not watched Homeland in six weeks, which is one of our uh, ongoing, really uh, exciting shows that, w- that we like to watch together. And she said, if you do a podcast tomorrow night, we can't watch Homeland again. And you play hockey on Monday night, so it will be Tuesday night. She said, I may just leave you so I can watch Homeland. So that um, really was the biggest uh, uh, the biggest
0: driver. Wow yeah so the, we we do we do watch uh television together but the one of the things that we also do together uh which we had a chance to do over this long drive is we um we both like the 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 what used to be a radio show and i guess is still a radio show and is still a podcast is is which we've also talked about before on this show is car talk and and even though um they're apparently not making new episodes they are cutting up old episodes and and putting them together and so that's what we do when we're in the car is we just plug in the the phone and we listen to car talk and we just crank through lots and lots of episodes of of car talk and it's always it's always uh, it's always fun i never get tired of listening to those guys they really do um they they really were i mean they, they were doing a podcast really before there were podcasts. I mean, I guess it's talk radio and all that, but just two guys talking and taking calls, um, and just generally cracking themselves up and being, being quite entertaining. So, uh, it's a nice way to pass the, uh, pass the time.
1: I, back when they made that announcement, uh, they're finishing the show. I, I downloaded a few episodes, uh, and, and listened and, and really liked it, but then I kind of got out of it. You know, we've talked about my podcast, uh, listening habits on how I'm I, I I still even though I had promised you that I was going to start listening to Roderick on the Line starting at episode 1 back four episodes ago I've not started it. So I'm uh I my my I I like I like to listen to podcasts um when I'm at the gym when I run and right now it's football season so I'm watching a lot of football and
0: listening to that when I'm running I don't know. When I'm, and I'll, when I'll you st- and I'm confused when you say football do you mean soccer or I, Canadian I, football or you would
1: think that? Uh, i mean aussie rules football it's a a big uh round stadium and uh it's it's a very uh tough looking game uh from from what i understand i've never played it but that's that's the football that i that i watch i have to uh have to find pirated websites that are broadcasting australian rules football but uh that's where that's where my heart lies
0: huh that's interesting
1: <laughs> also, also that in the NFL, Don. I love oh,
0: that. NFL. Okay.
1: Yeah. The the National Football. That's
0: League the that's um. That's the one with um that they make out of a dead pig, right?
1: Uh, it it is, and um, it's the one that they. I think it's the one where they you catch the dead pig in in a basket and throw it, and it's on the end of a stick. Huh. Um. Or yeah, or something. Or, or I don't know. I'm not sure which one. It, it, I like the idea of it. Uh, So, hey, uh, I I mentioned this, I think, in the last podcast um, when we we were talking about sort of things that we're listening to and watching Uh, briefly. But I want to just reiterate something that I've been listening to the Arcade Fire new album over and over again. I'm obsessed with it. These are um, 13 tracks that that are making up 90% of my music listening over the last five weeks. And I think it's unhealthy. Um, but I wanted to share again that this, this obsession that I mentioned a podcast ago is still continues on. So, um, so, so check out the Arcade Fire's new album, Reflector. And I'm sad, um, that they announced, uh, that they are touring, but not coming anywhere close to Raleigh. So I'm not going to probably get to see them. Uh, and I've not ever seen them, but I'm, I'm obsessed. I'm, it's a, it, like I said, it's, this is currently burgeoning on an unhealthy stalker like obsession with this album.
0: It sounds like it. It sounds like it. So I um, I have found myself through my own incompetence and inability to use iTunes to listening to only two albums when I'm on an airplane because those are the only two um, that are apparently synced with my phone. And, and those are the... Um, Uh, the the Neil Young album that we discussed a number of uh, podcasts ago, as well as Mark Knopfler's new album. And, um, and, and I've been, and the good thing is I like both of those a lot. Um, And now i bought a new one, uh, not a new, not a new, but, but new to my phone. Uh, I bought uh, an old uh, traffic um, um, CD album. And, and so now I have when but see, it's weird because when I'm, when I'm on, Wi-Fi, I have all of this, all of this stuff. And then when I go off Wi-Fi, I have like three things now on my phone that I can watch, um, which is, which is kind of amusing. But, uh, anyway, I'm sure if I figured out how iTunes match worked, um, it would be, it would be great. And, and now, and now for some reason, um, when I look at the, uh, the the Mark Knopfler album, which is called Privateering, um, it for some reason has the Car Talk lo- logo associated with it. So I'm I'm pretty sure my iTunes is pretty significantly hosed up. <laughs>
1: um, so Mark Knopfler is not someone who I've listened to a lot of. I'm well, according f-
0: according to Doug, he's not very good either. So you probably shouldn't start listening. <laughs>
1: I'm familiar with Dire Straits <laughs> and Money for Nothing and Sultans of Swing, and that's the the extent of my Mark Knopfler um, catalog. Now, I'm not going to say that those aren't um, great songs for certain situations. They just don't make my top my top ten. Um, and as I look at um, as I look at uh, his Wikipedia page right now. Um, or the, at least the Dire Straits Wikipedia page. There's a, a picture that makes him look a little bit like Pete Townsend.
0: <laughs> is that right?
1: Yeah. So, I, and I'm a fan of Pete Townsend. So, I, and I guess the thing is, anybody who um, kind of looks like Pete Townsend, you'd also might, be a fan of. Yeah, uh, just by just by that, the, you know, sheer coincidence.
0: Well, he, you know, he's he's really he's one of these guys that just keeps just keeps putting out albums and he 's just got this very he 's got a very good and I think you could see it even in the original um, uh, sultan 's of swing song that was where you know dire Straits got known he really is able to kind of set a scene and and really color that scene in um, you know very very cleverly with his uh, with his you know uh, music and also uh, words so anyway, just really. For whatever reason, just really captures me, and uh, so anyway, so I've been enjoying uh, listening to that. And the nice thing about the privateering album is it's got twenty tracks on it, including a bunch of uh, live stuff that, from the album as well as live stuff from some some other uh, some other stuff that he's done. So good, really good, really good stuff. Uh, uh, well, well worth checking out if you're if you're a fan, and uh, if you're not, well, that's okay too.
1: Yeah, it's okay. We we don't have to be fans of everything. Um, I, my my last uh, dire straits uh, comment is that I know I mean money for nothing has probably you know got that that guitar riff at the at the start of it that that had it stuck in my mind and I associate it with watching. WWF wrestling when i was about 6 or 8 years old because it was someone's entrance song and i don't know who it was but i but I, every time i i kind of hear it and i just remember i watched a lot of wrestling with my dad when i was a kid back in the 80s when it was really popular with hulk hogan and all those guys and it is probably still really popular just i'm not in the in the wrestling world genre anymore but the that that money for nothing guru just makes me think of seeing Hulk Hogan.
0: And, yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm trying, I'm trying to pick a karaoke song. And I, I, you know, the problem is that a lot of the songs I like are pretty obscure. And so those are not really very good karaoke songs, but, but money for nothing, that might be, that might be my karaoke song.
1: That's really good. It would be a very good karaoke song. Um, I've been, <laughs> it's funny you, you mentioned that. I've, I had multiple conversations with Danny as we've been driving places or hearing things lately. Like, Oh, that's a good song for karaoke. Like I'm, I'm constantly in the back of my mind thinking about that now. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I know me too.
1: <laughs> oh, it's bizarre. Weird, weird, weird. Um, the other, uh, other piece of music news that I wanted to share. Uh, this is the time of year where you and I, uh, our second annual sharing of, uh, of music. um, um, uh, Christmas music, and I mentioned this in the last podcast briefly as well. But I've now gone ahead and uh, and purchased and downloaded the Bad Religion Christmas album um, that that came out uh, a few weeks ago, and um, it's awesome. It's awesome, Don. The, I mean, I I love punk rock. I love uh, kitschy punk rock songs, uh, especially covers. And um, hearing Bad Religion singing "White Christmas," it's my second favorite, or maybe third favorite um, uh, version of that song. First being Bing Crosby. Second, there's a really good Otis Redding song, uh, version of "White Christmas," and then third is Bad Religion, just with really great guitar and, 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 and harmonies. It's all—it's amazing.
0: Well, I've never—I've never. I've never been a fan of bad religion just because i've I've never really had an opportunity to listen to them but but this might get me this might suck me in oh for sure
1: this is i'm not sure if this is the starting point for you i will i I look for look for some jewels in the in the podcast uh uh dropbox in the next couple of days i'll give you a a smattering of bad religion songs um and they're they're lyricists i I don't think we've really talked about but um in, in any other podcast but they're they're like this band that i've they were the first concert i ever went to um like on my own uh, the first time that i um that i smelled uh, uh, illegal drugs um <laughs> was, was at that concert um the first uh yeah, band that like i don't know that that had a social message that I just grabbed onto and and made it a a philosophy or something. Um, and so i you know they've they've been uh, a band that I've uh, I've stuck with for for a long time, and I love the I, I love the punk rock and the um, the the messages uh, b- uh, behind it. But the the other kind of cool thing is the um, the lead singer um, from uh, from Bad Religion. His name is Greg Graffin, and, and he. Uh, did his uh, doctorate in uh, evolutionary biology at Cornell.
0: Uh, Yeah, I've just just seen that, yeah.
1: And and is like really like teaches at at Cornell and then I think he teaches a class at – UCLA or USC or something because they're they're a Southern California punk band, um, but there was like this time in the band's history where where they just took a bunch of time off so he could go back to school and do his doctorate and they they all met while he was uh, while they were in, or he was starting well that's not true they they met while they were teenagers but um, ended up um, having their formative years while he was in graduate school and then uh, that that continued on so he, his his Twitter handle I think is Doctor Grafton. Which is, which is cool. That's and pretty cool. I mean, punk rock and science, right? The, <laughs> there's, there's our show title. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the guy, Dexter Holland from uh, uh, The Offspring, uh, was also a microbiologist in, I think, UC Santa Barbara or somewhere in, uh, in, in California, a graduate student doing microbiology and, uh, and ended up in the world of punk rock as well. So some smart, some smart cookies in the punk rock world.
0: In, indeed. And, and you know, um, so, and, and I have to say, you know, my, um, th- I'm still, I'm looking forward this year to listening to once again, uh, uh, uh an album that I plugged last year, which is, uh, one Christmas at a time with Jonathan Colton and, and John Roderick. Uh, just, it really, really holds up, uh, well. And then, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention, um, all of the activity on uh, Merlin's Tumblr, uh, yes. <laughs> posting these horrible Christmas songs that he hates, that apparently his daughter loves. So uh, we'll uh, we'll link to to some of those as well. So um, uh, anyway, just uh, good good times uh, being had by all.
1: Absolutely. So um, should we start a should we start start a food safety show?
0: And like a podcast?
1: Yeah, like I, we should do a podcast today.
0: I oh, like us right now. Maybe
1: or Bono if he's available.
0: <laughs> is he around? I don't know. I don't know. The Edge. Is here. I, haven't, I haven't talked to him lately. I would. I would like. I would like to hang out with The Edge. I'm not sure. Yeah, seems- I think Bono seems like a bit of an ass, but The Edge seems like a pretty cool dude.
1: Yeah, pensive, quiet. He's, he he sits in the corner of my office sometimes. Just <laughs> next to the urinal. Yeah, right next to the urinal, looking edgy. <laughs> um. So. Let's uh, let's let's jump on in. Um, what what, what kind of you got any follow up for us?
0: Well, I did, but but you've been editing the show notes and it's now oh. blank. <laughs>
1: I deleted some follow-up, but it was an old follow-up. Maybe oh, Okay. I- Maybe, I,
0: yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just very confused. It's too early in the morning here at noon o'clock, and uh, uh, I haven't had enough coffee. But, um, well, I, I thought something that would definitely be worth um, talking about would be our conversations with uh, Elizabeth Andress. So um, I think that's a good one to to open with. Um, and so, so let's let's just remind people of who Elizabeth is. So, first of all, how did she not know we were doing a podcast? But anyway, um, <laughs> thanks to her for reaching out to us and, and for um, uh, for telling us. So, so this is um, information regarding uh, the company Value Pack, and, and ValuePack Pack makes um, f- retortable pouches. And uh, they are promoting on their website um, uh, the use of these retortable pouches for home canning. And, And they specifically say for home canning, use a standard pressure canner with a pressure gauge following canning guidelines for preserving food. Um, And Elizabeth had emailed them saying that she's the author of the USDA Complete Guide to Home Canning and that she is not aware – and if anybody would be aware, it would be her – she's not aware of any process development work that's been done for home canning in retort pouches. And and she goes on to note that – the process times in the USDA database developed for jars or cans can't just simply be transferred to retort pouches um, and based on the minimal instructions provided on the value pack website. And this this was a very opportune time for this, this to come across our um, – uh, our, our email, um, uh, our electronic mail device, um, because I had just finished teaching a Better Process Control school, and for those that don't know, the Better Process Control school is a school for people who are in the um, um, get either in the canning business or looking to get into the canning business, and it's all about food safety, and and it talks about the importance of it. if you you can't if you have a, an approved recipe or a standard recipe, you can't change anything about that recipe including the ingredients or the container size without modifying the recipe. Um and and so and this would have been, you know, a thing if Elizabeth had emailed them, but then um their VP of marketing emails her back and I will read from this because this person is being just i think it's just way out of line um Incredibly. so so dear ms Andres. so already if i'm elizabeth i'm pissed off right because <laughs> i have a phd but uh anyway let's assume it's an honest mistake um What do you want? What is your point? These are FDA-approved bags for canning foods of all types. They come in thousands of different forms, sizes, textures, thicknesses. They've been tested for over 15 years with the military and in commercial applications. They are fast becoming the wave of the future in commercial canning. Far less expensive, less breakage, less weight, and longer shelf life. You are about six years behind the home canning rage. Hundreds of thousands of bags have been canned by home canners using the guidelines for canning jars and cans. There are a few tips and tricks which customers become aware of quickly for success. Looks like you have a new book to write. Good luck. I mean, what a jerk. Wow. (laughs) I mean, that's, I mean, Jesus. I just, uh, anyway.
1: um, It's it's just kind of amazing from the, uh, I'm the VP of marketing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The, the, The VP of being a jerk.
1: Yeah. Like, um, you, you clearly don't know anything about, um, science and the newest trends, Andrus. So, uh, let me be a, a real, uh, uh, D bag to you. And, uh, and here you go.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's mind boggling. I mean, it's a, this is somebody, this is a company that's making, I mean, and yeah, granted with respect to food companies, I mean, they're on the hook, right? So food companies are on the hook for Assuring that they 're using a safe process for assuring that the process has been developed for the the, the, the packaging material in question, and if they and, and they have to file a process with the fda that 's not the case with consumers and consumers are already doing wacky enough stuff and it 's like the opinion of value pack is well we we don 't need to develop validated recipes we 're just going to sell this stuff to people yeah. Because
1: it's been because it's been validated by uh, companies commercially with their own process, right? Like, I mean, that's the that that's the mentality here. Not not at all um, keeping in thought that um, that someone doesn't have a uh, you know a, a, the same type of expertise or machinery in their home kitchen.
0: Yeah, it's it's just it seems like a disaster waiting to happen. Um, and and the fact that people are using it. And there's, quote, a few tips and tricks, which people quickly become aware of. Um, it's just that just they're acknowledging the fact that people are using this. Um, it's just I just I mean, I just have to say what you know this person obviously knows nothing about the food business and knows nothing about canning because I just I, I, this just seems like a a disaster waiting to happen. I mean, it would be one thing if they, if they sort of sold this on their website and said, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, we'll sell it to whomever, but they're actively promoting this for home canners. Yeah. uh, Which to me is just way over the line.
1: Yeah. Without data.
0: Without, without any data.
1: Without any data. But apparently
0: there's tricks and tricks and tips, um, which will hopefully stop you from giving anybody botulism.
1: Yeah. and, and elizabeth i mean was was kind enough to share this uh with us she and she's much more professional than than I would be um with the level of sarcasm um she you know her her comment. Uh, back, which is so, I mean, which is so um, great is when you refer to people, when you refer people to quote standard canning procedures, I can tell you that those from the federal government land grant university specialists cannot be used as is for these pouches with assurance they will sterilize the food as expected. I mean, and that's, that's the, the, the central point of this whole, this whole discussion. So, and um, uh, Elizabeth goes on to say, what I want to talk, Uh, What I want is to talk with your thermal processing specialist who supports the processes for these Um, because she knows, just like you and I, uh, who who sit in in our positions and and, um, provide information around home canning, is that we're going to get questions because this trend comes up. And we can't really answer questions without data, either data that we generate or – I mean, we being collectively within the – um, w- within this world uh, and Elizabeth being the, the primary person who does this or without some sort of uh, data that, a, that the company provides us. And so the question comes up saying, how do I do this? Is this safe? Can I use this recipe? Um, it, now we're kind of faced with at least how I would approach it is I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I don't have any data uh, to to point to, to show that it can be done, um, safely using these methods, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't use the. Uh, I, I wouldn't use the product in, in my home without that data.
0: Well, and, and yeah, and where's the where's the support for for your recommendations? And right. and then and then people, but people are going to do whatever they want, and they're going to say, well, okay, Elizabeth, why you know, Doctor. Anders, why are you not giving me the information I need? Clearly, this is this is supposed to be okay. It says so right on the company's website. Yeah. And then I love the the closing of – this is Elizabeth's second email in response to Ms. Uh, Dolder. She says, I do not appreciate your sarcasm. (laughs) I am trying to professionally apply thermal processing science and be sure that advice offered to home canners has scientific integrity. Supporting it. Thank you, Dr. (laughs) Andres. Exactly. Uh. And then apparently this person um, sent another message back to Elizabeth, which she was just so mortified. By she says, I'm not even going to send it to you. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is um, the
1: one that I really wanted? To see.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's just like uh, it's just it's uh, and and I mean, I appreciate the fact that canning is taking off. Right, we've talked about this before on the show. That that you know, this is great. People are interested in food, and they're interested in home preservation. This is this is fantastic news for cooperative extension. You know, this is this is a great this is a great thing. Um, but but man, um, somebody's going to get killed pretty soon from from botulism, right? Or there's no reason to suspect that that wouldn't happen. Um, so what can we do to, to make sure that this is safe? Well, it's not to be an obnoxious jerk on email to people that are that are the people that are you're trying to that can help you to, to with with you know the the people that you're trying to reach.
1: And, and how bad does this, you know, does this look? If something bad does happen, you know, if the the tragic situation of someone gets sick or, or you know, worse. I mean, we're talking about um, botulism. Um, here with a much higher consequence. you know, There's you know, these long-term effects. Something like that happens with these products and then all of a sudden you've got this history of an email conversation with the person who knows more about ha- home canning science than anybody else in the U.S. who's, who's literally written the book on it <laughs> um, uh, asking for data and you've got this really nasty sarcastic, you know, you clearly don't know what you're talking about, Andrus email. I mean, that's the the thing that that, that gets that gets me every time when when you see this people lashing out um, in the food industry or other industries at people um, without uh, sort of understanding how bad that looks and how that could have been dealt with a lot better by saying be happy for you to t- talk to um, our uh, you know, thermal processing specialist here's the data that we've generated on this and you know please don't share it but this is what you know this is how we're um, making our recommendations and, and not looking to um, you know to be adversaries, but to be partners in this in this whole thing going forward. I mean, it's no it, 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 stuff like this happens all the time, and and I and I see it. Um, you know, to a different extent when when outbreaks happen and the industry blames um uh, you know a regulator or, or someone else for uh for sharing information uh about it and how that damages the business but man, they just look bad when they when they uh you know proactively go after somebody like this it's just,
0: yeah. well and i i would question whether they have a thermal processing specialist to me this looks like a very small uh, operation um and 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 you know I, I just i just i don't think uh i don't, I don't think that they have a thermal processing specialist i think they're all about selling product to the people in the food industry and you know hopefully people in the food industry that are buying it know what the hell they're doing
1: yeah yeah, and 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 that's it's a whole different world when you're selling it to somebody in their home. Yep. Oh, man, yeah, good, good. Um, so, so we got we got something else here that we didn't we didn't do. That's right. You know, it's our favorite part of the show. It is. It is. It's bug trivia, Don. All right. Let me. Uh, I I don't know what what, what style I'm going to do it in. It's going to surprise everybody. All right. Bug trivia. Do, 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 do. It was kind of a little bit of Pantera in there, a little Cannibal Corpse, some some heavy metal uh, that I was going with. Yeah, Uh, I heard heard that. Yeah, it was a uh, a really rapid um, guitar. Uh, Anyway, Bug Trivia, we were in the 1960s. Uh, Again, this is our ongoing uh, bit uh, where we started with the uh, uh, history of bugs from Carl Custer and we're now moving into the history of IAFP. Uh, The 1960s was written by Julian Cox and Julian, being Julian, um, and for those of the listeners who don't know who Julian is, just Google Julian Cox, food safety, and you'll see some phenomenal pictures of, of our friend Julian. Um, to get a, to, he's a free spirit uh, for for sure, a free spirit that uh, has a, a great beard, and, and sometimes when I see him, very long hair, and other times when I see him, his head is shaved, uh, and, uh, and and is a uh, candid, very. Uh, um, uh, you know not, re- really great person that, that we have in the in the food safety world uh, to uh, a, a address certain things in a very candid way I guess a, that 's how i 'll I'll, I'll, um, classify them on, on this but so so Julian and only the way Julian can write says the 1960s dot 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 time of the Beatles, comma free love, and significant change in our association. The Beatles Free Love and IAFP Um, What a a great chapter (laughs) Um, So Julian writes uh, Revolution Through late 1960 Revolution question mark as in revolution John Lennon's revolution I think Um, Through late 1962 and early 1963 The association Considered its direction and with it A change of name Of particular note was an argument put forward Against such change Utes ...stated that environmental sanitation is almost a nebulous area and, and, quote, environmental sanitation is an all-inclusive term encompassing all phases of sanitation. And therein lies the very reason for change. Does this argument not suggest a farm-to-fork approach to management of the sanitary status of food, the very mantra we chant today? The rest is indeed history with the change of emphasis effected through publication in the June 1963 volume of the journal. Um, he, in this uh, this chapter as well, he he goes on to highlight uh, differences. Really, the 1950s in the journals, um, or sorry, the 1960s in the journals was was a time for them. Fifty years of the organization and and, uh, and the science that it, uh, that that had happened, and um, they really focus. Uh, a, a, a lot, or he really focuses a lot on uh, on some of the things that we've already talked about in, in those uh, earlier podcasts as we've, we've done it. But he does highlight um, one, you know, the, the association as a whole. Um, so he says, despite a membership of around 2,500, the start of this decade, the 1960s, saw the association in debt. Like any good organization, investment was made during the hardest of times with the quote, Tharp of the moment, H.L. Uh, Thomason, Implementing a modern approach to both management of the association and, most importantly, to the production of the journal, which included an expansion of its advertising program. The journal was migrated from a geographically disparate and administratively burdensome system to one of consolidation, thereby gaining great efficiencies. Collectively, this set the journal on a path that sees our current journals of today as great assets, both scientifically and financially, Affiliates more than doubled from 11 in 1951 to over 25 in 1953, uh, with related growth in membership from 2,500 over 3,500, a figure that's close to the present. The association's constitution formalized the broadened criteria for the membership recognizing, as we do today, the role of diversity and strength of any organization and in maximizing the quality and safety of food. Further, it recognized the need to enhance academic and professional training of its members, once again reflecting a major charter of today's association. And that was the, the point um, that, that I wanted to, um, to sort of highlight and, and ask you about and have a little quick discussion on. That the, – the fact um, that IFP – spends so much of its efforts and times in further education and exchange of ideas both at the annual meeting and ongoing i think is really the strength of uh, of what what the organization's all about and the fact that it's only um, you know still uh, a small family type organization you know this uh, as julian mentioned uh, you know 3500 um, members in uh, in the 1950s and 60s, and it's not too far off of, of where we are today. That allows for this really, really focused, um, uh, a, a nimble uh, education uh, ability of the organization. But I mean, that's the thing. It's it's not, and we've talked a lot about this. The, the annual meeting itself is it's important for some as a as a place for. Um, sharing cutting-edge science, but but to me, it, it, it always comes back to this sharing of information, uh, educational opportunities—a a place to to better ourselves as uh, as professionals. And, and it sounds like that was th- this shift really happened in the nineteen um, in the nineteen sixties, where that became
0: a, a big focus. Well, and what I really find fascinating in all of this is that at, at that time. We had membership numbers approaching the membership numbers that we have today, which means that sometime after the 1960s, membership must have gone down um which which to me is 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 just it's fascinating. Um yeah and it's uh, as it says here by the end of a decade the association was financially strong and had a membership of 4100 which is more members than we have now. So I don't know it just it just it's fascinating to look at the ebb and flow of these of these types of things but certainly I mean the 60s was obviously a very important time culturally, but also within within the the food safety culture in in terms of the reinvention of the association during that time period.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely. And I wonder if the uh, you, we'd have to look back at, at at the membership growth and you know uh, map that out in in Excel. But I I wonder how much the growth of the affiliates. And the more localization of some of the the material um, and educational uh, opportunities ha- reduce some of the um, the membership to the to the larger organization. Um, you know, meaning that people may not have been members of an affiliate or then members of the um, the the you know, international organization, but may have gone and and gotten the same information on their on their local level just by being at at those meetings not as a member and whether that impacted things
0: yeah and i would have to say uh, undoubtedly it it must have and we're certainly undergoing a similar kind of renaissance right now with uh with our growth in affiliates and it really is a very strong effort to try to really become really truly not just in name only the international association for food protection
1: absolutely well, that was bug trivia, and next next episode we're on to the seventies Don we're gonna have to think about what we do when we get to the two thousand and and zeros <laughs> where where do we go next? what's the next yeah. I don't know hmm it's gonna be uh i don't know we let's let's note that for follow up for next week next uh next episode good idea um so there a couple other things, and you know, early in the podcast, we started things off talking about um, Bill Keen. There, there were a few things that I wanted to um, to highlight and, and get your you know your comments on, and, and talk a little bit about on his contributions um, and, and just kind of the storied uh, interactions that that he's had as a as a epidemiologist. And I don't want this to be become kind of like a you know eulogy episode. And it's it's probably because it's so fresh in our minds. But there are you know some things that I was thinking about um when uh when we got this information yesterday that I, I wanted to, to to talk about. Um and just to to be able to, to document and record this as we do on the on the episode. And for those uh you know we we've mentioned him part of this this uh, this episode but I you know I hope that our listeners take a little bit of time and uh, and, and take a look you know just googling um, bill Keene Oregon epidemiology and and see some of the the major outbreaks and um, situations that he's been in on and, and 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 where you know what his impact is because it's because it's pretty sizable um out there, and the first one that I wanted to talk to you about, Don, was um, a situation that came up in 2011—an uh, outbreak of Salmonella Panama that was linked to cantaloupe. And um, I, I knew of Bill uh, before; I had known of him before this. I don't even think that was good grammar, but I, I, I knew who he was, uh, and um, we exchanged some emails uh, o- over uh, this situation. But but the, the here here it is. Uh, in, an, in a quick nutshell, um, this outbreak uh, of, of Salmonella-Panama was solved pretty quickly. Um, there were multiple states that had illnesses, um, and but part of the reason why it was solved pretty quickly is – and we've talked a little bit about this in past episodes – is that Salmonella-Panama and this – especially this uh, PFG um, pattern was, was pretty uncommon. Um, and so, any of the illnesses uh, that local health and, and state health departments were reporting were likely part of this cluster and um, back in in two thousand and eleven um, the the cluster was kind of solved uh, by uh, bill and and some of his um, his colleagues at state agencies by uh, Ingeniously, I think looking at customer loyalty cards and the illnesses, the epidemiological illness initially um, was was showing that people had eaten cantaloupe and they had eaten cantaloupe from Costco um, but only through interacting with Costco and going through their membership – Um, Loyalty lists and I mean, membership list and purchase history. Were they able to pinpoint the exact dates and locations uh, and then ultimately the lots and the transactions uh, of where the cantaloupe came from? And it's I mean, to, to my knowledge, this is, is something that I've heard talked about over the last couple of years at lots of meetings about using loyalty cards for recall and outbreak. But I think this was the first one where it all kind of worked. And, and Bill was really at the forefront um, of this. So um, in the CDC report uh, from from that time, um, they were, and we'll link to this in, in show notes, but 11 of the 12 ill people that were confirmed ill, eight cantaloupes purchased at eight different locations of uh, a national warehouse club, which was Costco. Information gathered with patient permission from membership card records helped determine that ill persons purchased cantaloupes salt- sourced. This is, I mean, the most uh, incredible part, that, that that information was able to, uh, it was sourced to a single farm. And those membership cards were uh, allowed them to, um, to do that. Product trace back information indicated these cantaloupes were harvested from a single farm in guatemala fda worked closely with cdc authorities in states where um illnesses have occurred and the firms involved to investigate the source of this contamination and identify the likely source of this outbreak um very uh quickly but i mean this is uh, uh something that i think we'll see more of uh you know, we We've talked a little bit about this on on the podcast in the past, but um, more the more information and transaction information that we have uh, at, at the consumer level the the quicker outbreaks get solved and in this case it got it got solved very quickly. So what do, you, what do you think?
0: Well, so, of course, as soon as you mentioned Panama, I immediately think of Van Halen. So we'll have to link to the Van Halen video. But, um, uh, you know, I, th- this is a really interesting outbreak. And, I you know, I, I think about this every time I go to the grocery store and I'm, I'm going to use my customer loyalty card. And, I, you know almost always I'll use it especially if I'm I'm thinking about it and I can I can get it out in time even if there might not be any discounts associated with that just because in the case that there's an outbreak I want somebody to be able to link back to me that I bought you know this particular product on this particular day and for them to be able to contact me so i think it's it's I mean we talk you know there's a lot of talk these days about privacy and Big brother getting in your life but but this is an example of where it's really helpful to know to be able to link individual products sold to people on a given day so that you can do this kind of trace back um, I think the other interesting thing about this particular outbreak is that um uh Del Monte sued. Bill Keene or sued the state of Oregon saying that, that it was a shoddy investigation, saying that he never found uh, salmonella in the cantaloupes, but he named the company anyway. Um, they, the, the Del Monte Fresh Produce blames Keene for the recall, saying he pushed FDA to take action. Um, but. You know, in the end, they withdrew the lawsuit because it just re- really, essentially, was without substance. And this is the this is the tension that we always face. Um, and this is, I know, something that you know, Doug has been very bo- vocal about on on Barf Blog. Is you you've, you've got to name these companies. It's not enough to say, and the CDC is you know famous for not naming and saying, well, a large warehouse chain, but not but not naming it. Um, you know, and, and and I have to say that over time. My position has moved more towards well, we just we really need to name these companies and let people know um, I guess that but then it comes down to well how much exactly how much evidence do you need before you name somebody and and again, it comes back to that uh, famous quote uh, I think from Paul Mead that we that we mentioned very early on in the podcast about if you're if you're if you're right. Uh, in 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 naming the source, you're too late, and if you're wrong, you're too early, and that's the only way that we can judge this. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, this was this is just. There's a lot to um, a lot to be that's very interesting about this outbreak, from the use of the loyalty card through the the lawsuit through you know allegations. I mean, the question. I mean, epidemiology is always about. Correlation. I mean, you, you, you. Sometimes you get lucky and you find that link. You're able to test product which has the the organism in it that's 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 you know fingerprint matched to what you find in um, people's people's feces. But you, you that is that's rare. Although it's it seems it seems from my you know anecdotal observation it's becoming more common, but it's definitely rare. And and so given that we don't have we don't always have that quote smoking gun. Um, all you're left with at the end of the day is this epidemiological correlation. And at some point you have to make a decision now, you know, and again, depending on the nature of the product and whether it's a a long shelf life product or, or a short shelf life product, whether it's on the market or not, you know, all of those are factors that need to be, to be weighed. But, but, um, you know, it's just an example of why, um, you know, why, what goes on in Minnesota and why, what, what uh, hopefully will continue to go on in Oregon, even after Bill's passing, um, is, is so important. We need, we need more, we need more state public health, uh, epidemiologists in the other States to emulate the, 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 the way that things are done in Oregon and the way that things are done in Minnesota, because, um, you know, that that that's it's just not fair that that the other states aren't as good right i mean we're we're clearly if there's a the way to not get be part of an outbreak is to make sure you don't ship any food to minnesota or to oregon right and and because the other state health departments are not as good so we need to we need to make them stronger and, and make them better able to do their job
1: well and and this is you know sort of go this idea that it's about the people in those positions and and how how good communicators they are and how passionate they are um, about this because I think what's um, you know I, I can put a, a handful of names together of people that I've uh, that have published a bunch of papers on outbreak investigations. Keen's one of them. Michael Osterholm uh, is another one. And, and the folks here, Craig Hedberg um, in Minnesota. Um, uh, Tim Jones in, in uh, Tennessee. Uh, David uh, Sweat, who was here in North Carolina until uh, about a year ago, um, was another one. These these epidemiologists are the ones that are the most productive on sharing the information and the lessons learned from these outbreaks. And, and they're at the forefront of challenging how this is done. You know, the, this this nonsense um, that pops up um, it, it, that, that I think was propagated a lot by the industry following the 2008 um, Salmonella-St. Paul outbreak That that epidemiology is no more than an art form and it's not a science at all and it's a lot of guessing – it, 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 it takes those really strong um, personalities and, and the folks that are there uh, to polish and share how this is done, and 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 be at the um, you know, be be quoted in the in the paper, uh, the you know the papers, the news the news stories uh, uh, about uh, outbreaks to really push this forward to say, look, no, this isn't this isn't just some whacked out. Um, are, and we're not guessing at stuff. We have data. We're looking at correlations. This is a game of statistics, and and all things uh, really strongly are pointing to to product X, and that doesn't mean that it's 100. And and it doesn't. I mean, we look at um, Salmonella enteritidis uh, or, uh, or or Cyclospora as an example of you can pull out uh, a, a you can pull a product that um, that has. Uh, a pathogen in it that may not be the only source even, you know, th- th- it's messy. This whole world of uh, outbreak investigations are, are messy and it's okay that they're messy as long as we're all clear on um, what the limitations are and we go with the best available science and the best available data to make decisions. But, uh, I mean, we, we need more, we need more people and stronger, you know, stronger folks in, in those, uh, positions to really challenge, to, to answer back when they get challenged. And, um, there was a, uh, an outbreak, um, in, uh, sorry, a conversation, uh, in the uh, in New York Times, and I think I, I put this um, this quote in the um, in the uh, notes file. Um, that um, uh, it's not in there, but uh, Mike o- Mike Osterholm, uh, basically said uh, in in response to, to to Bill pushing FDA or or going forward and naming Del Monte as the source of this Panama outbreak, Ulsterholm um, said the data was really really tight. And there's no question that Del Monte is the source of the outbreak. I mean, from from the data, like it's it was it was enough uh, and, and good enough information. I I kind of read in, into that as saying there are outbreaks out there that are a little looser than this that that we've gone forward and thought uh, that that someone was the source, but this one this is really really um, the, the data is too good for it to be not. Not at least linked partially to Del Monte, and I think that you bring up this really, um, you know, interesting piece, uh, and we'll we'll link to all all these articles and show notes, but um, there was a food safety news article that uh, Phyllis Entis wrote uh, about this issue and about why Del Monte was having a recall and why they challenged it. And the biggest thing that that I can read into this is, so yeah, Oregon or no other state or FDA never found the Panama in the product because the product was was well past its shelf life and maybe it was a one, one-time situation. But they also pointed to... Um, uh, Maryland. So in Alaska, I'll just go down this this article here. But Alaska had no cases of salmonella. Uh, Panama reported, although Del Monte initiated a recall in that state, and they did that because some of the affected lot might have been shipped there. California had two confirmed cases. Colorado had one confirmed case. Idaho had no confirmed cases, um, but there were a whole bunch of people that had. Um, um, that fell ill from uh, what they believe was salmonella uh, at uh, at a wedding um, where cantaloupe from Costco was served. Maryland had one confirmed case matching the outbreak strain. The victim reported eating cantaloupe in the week prior to becoming ill, but the cantaloupe was not purchased at Costco. So um, that and, um, uh, you know, so Phyllis goes in to say that she talked to Bill Keene about it and um, she he, he had you know this phenomenal information early on, saying that Costco receives only about six percent of the cantaloupes grown on Del Monte's Asuncion Bita farm, and that was the farm that was linked epidemiologically to the illnesses. The rest of the crop is shipped to numerous other wholesalers and retailers, most but not of all of them in the U.S. The farm compromises or comprises some fifteen cantaloupe fields, which are planted and harvested in, this, in series to ensure continuous supply of melons. The last of the 15 fields to be harvested had been shut down since early March, but you know, Bill's, Bill's info that, that I, we can only assume came from good information that um, uh, that Costco had, as well as Del Monte themselves, said that it, it this is larger than. A Costco outbreak. This is more than you know, potentially more than um, th- than the illnesses that were recorded. That this is a Del Monte issue, and that's what that you know. Ultimately, that's what the 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 company that that sued Bill went went after, saying that um, it wasn't just them. It was some you know other things, other factors at play. But it's it, this is a very. Looking back at this over the last 24 hours, it it is a really interesting case study outbreak because there is so much going on with it from um, this unique pattern to uh, cards being used to to someone getting sued and and public health getting sued, which almost never happens in the end, and then that that lawsuit being dropped. But I I can't imagine being in Bill's shoes where you're named in this lawsuit for – and someone accuses you of doing shoddy epidemiology but but really they're just mad at you for doing your job according to best practices
0: right and and there are there are certainly uh, a bunch of examples of situations where um We've got the epidemiology wrong, and probably the most recent well-known example was with this um, salmonella in what ended up being, uh, I think, salmonella St. Paul in in peppers, where originally it was uh, tomatoes that were implicated by the epidemiology. And there's an article in Morbidity Mortality Weekly Reports that shows that those uh, case control studies um, and it end up which did show a correlation, but ended up being you know a spurious correlation and again, we've talked about this before on the show as well. The issue with with Mexican food is, if you go to a Mexican restaurant, you know what are you eating? You're eating hot peppers, you're eating tomatoes, you're eating cilantro, and and if you're having salsa on stuff, you're eating all three together. And so sometimes, with particular types of foods, there's a strong statistical correlation between eating food A and eating food B at the same time. And so, of course, that's going to make the epidemiology messy. But if epidemiologists didn't try and didn't sometimes guess wrong, we'd never make any progress, right? So, I mean, if you wait until you're absolutely 100% totally right, you probably would never report anything. And so, again, we have to sort of approach this this thing where well we're right enough that we're we're confident enough to go to go forward and i just wish there were you know, there was more sharing of that information, so that people, you know, maybe not the general public, but people like us that are close to it can can look like like at that example of that uh, uh, false correlation with tomatoes. So so that we can look and see the epidemiology, we can see the correlations, we can see the case control studies, and make uh, make our our own minds, or or at least learn about the uncertainties and the dangers and the risks. Right? Because if you never if you never try anything, you'll certainly never succeed. And if you tr- try sometimes and you're wrong well that's okay you you can learn from that right
1: and yeah and to your to your point folks like like us it's not just like we want to know this to be you know you know superstars or you know nosy nosy needles or whatever the, the <laughs> i just made that up nosy nellies um, uh, it, it's because you know we part of what we're supposed to do, part of the, the philosophy of, uh, of our um, being at a land-grant institution and, and, and bringing the science of, uh, of food and agriculture to the people is to be able to discuss that uncertainty with media, with stakeholders, with consumers, because it helps everyone kind of understand the system better. And I, it's, you know, this, uh, we talked about this a ton on the podcast, but this is exactly the point. Uh, you know of it is that complaining about the uncertainties in the system afterwards and and taking that ridiculous step of of suing somebody um, it, 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 we're we're only doing that because we haven't done a really good job sharing that information all along, and this all this information that people have had because there's this guard guarded sense of not wanting to share it or not letting people understand what's going on and it goes back to our um you know our our critique of the ift videos back in um, back last year or earlier this year uh about painting this rosy picture well it's not all rosy and it's not all you know the the food industry uh, there are risks involved and there are uncertainties and and the only way that we have better acceptance when something bad goes wrong is when we talk about stuff and proactively to talk about these uncertainties but uh i you know hopefully I don't Sound like I'm repeating myself over and over on that that point, but but I mean this this highlights exactly that, and it's and it's every week or not every week, but every month when we have a major uh, outbreak, the same things come up, uh, you know, sort of over and over again, and it doesn't and it doesn't progress without folks like um like Bill out there trying to push this trying to trying, trying to force you know uh, force the hands of uh, of others to um to share more information and, and and to to pull back that curtain
0: yeah and we so we've been talking a lot about stuff that people can find out there in, in the world, but I want to bring it back to something, um, that we've talked about before on this show and is basically correspondence, email correspondence between you and Bill. Um, and, and I just want to read cause this just shows like what a, what a great guy he was. Um, so, so this is, uh, this is in the show notes. This is an email, um, from, uh, it's, it's entitled, uh, in your notes, uh, email number two, uh, from December Second, uh, uh, Bill writes Ben. I've been looking guiltily at the packaging for my Spiffy Comark PDT three hundred for five months now, trying to work up the courage to write you a thank you note. <laughs> so you know, right away, uh, right away, he's uh, he's a hero in my book. Um, I'm a slow and sometimes tortured writer, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> at any rate, thank you. At any rate, thank thank you for sending it to me. If it has not already saved my life, it certainly may in the future and untold generations with it. Um, but but we're again. So he's talking talking about this uh shopping bag outbreak and 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 I have to I, I I mean and and this is like this is like word for word like from what we said at the at the podcast so for again to recap so this is a situation where people were infected with norovirus. They brought um these bags, these shopping bags, they stored them in the bathroom for some reason um and and basically um got contaminated with norovirus. And and then I'll just just cut to the the, the, the punchline here. And this is again Bill writing. The real message if there is one is one, don't store food in bathrooms. Okay. I think we talked about that on the podcast. Or if you must, take it out before people start vomiting or having diarrhea therein. Number two, if 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 you ignore, number one, toss any cookies or the like that have been stored in there during such potential invisible exposure. Three, for people with the luxury of multiple bathrooms, try to dedicate one for use by sick people whilst they're (laughs) vomiting or have diarrhea. And I guess the other one for storing food? That's me. That's me parenthetically adding that. And number four, bathrooms used by sick persons should not only be cleaned but sanitized with appropriate care. If you can, wear gloves and a mask while you clean. Wipe down all surfaces that people might get their hands on. Toilet seat handles. Countertops, doorknobs, all of it. So, um, you know, I mean, again, this is just—I think this just to me sums up why why he's why his his death is such a, a loss to us. I mean, here's just a guy, a regular guy, struggles with getting too much email and having to respond, but also is just not afraid to just to to, to point out BS when he when he sees it. I mean, you know, I mean, just 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 great great stuff. So.
1: <laughs> I the the last part of that email also makes me laugh, um, just to to show you know the the kind of guy he is. He, he, he says, "I'm particularly proud that we were able to get Journal of Infectious Disease to use the only correct singular of fomites which is foams." That may be the latest legacy of the investigation.
0: Indeed. Ah, uh,
1: but it's ah uh, yeah, it, it's sort of incredible that um I, I through that. That example into show notes for um, a, a reason because this you know, this outbreak that um, uh, that that he talked about and wrote a paper about um, that was uh, um, uh, published in Journal of Infectious Disease again, going back to having really great public health folks. Uh, it isn't just about them being really great epidemiologists, but it's being able to share that information and publish this stuff. And they don't, I mean, it's not valued in a lot of um, health departments in a lot of state health departments. And that's the thing is having someone who can, can jump in and, and say, look, this is really important to get out there, like like Bill and, and uh, Tim and David and and the folks that I've mentioned, and there's there's others that are on that list, but it's not every place that you have this um, this great need of of sharing, you know, higher calling of of epidemiology. But um, that that outbreak, I was reminded exactly of that outbreak because um, this weekend there was a, a report of a norovirus outbreak in Las Vegas uh, that's been associated with a um, a football, uh, tournament, uh, people playing, uh, you know, kids playing football and just this, uh, this idea of, uh, norovirus happening in hotel rooms and kids all traveling together. I mean, it's not, it's like a stationary cruise ship, but, um, you know, a vomit event and it gets transferred and that vi- those virus particles get transferred, uh, to, to, you know, bathrooms. And um, four kids sharing a room and all using the same toilet, and you know may or may not be storing cookies in that bathroom or whatever they're um, they're doing. But but it's I mean the, it's so current. I mean this is the stuff that that he um, that he reported on. It, it happens you know, every weekend, and it's happening. Um, and and so the um, the quote that I just pulled from uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal on this um, was that. Uh, the health department, local health department, were admonishing those who have fallen sick to be sure to wash their hands, try to avoid public places, and clean up after themselves in areas believed to be infected from doorknobs to bathtubs to toilets to chairs to tables and anything else they may conceivably have touched while in town for the National Youth Football Championship. Which is, you know, it's, it, I, I wonder. I wonder how much uh, Bill's sharing and investigation of, of norovirus outbreaks. Because that one that, that we mentioned um, with the with the uh, cookies and the bags wasn't the first thing that he'd written on this. How much of of what he had done goes into that message of um, from doorknobs to bathtubs to toilets? You know that 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 actually may be coming directly from. Uh, some of the work that that he's done and, and and there are lots of other colleagues that that work on this stuff, but um you know that that could just show some of his legacy right there yeah and
0: in, in, indeed, indeed
1: well, there's one more Bill Keen outbreak I want to talk about, okay and it didn't make it into to show notes, but it but it came up. Um, this morning in a conversation I had with uh, a friend of the, the show and podcast, former podcast guest in episode three or four, Chris Gunter, um, also known on uh, uh, Twitter at the handle of Vegetable Doc um, or – yeah, Vegetable Doc. Um, Chris is is uh, running a workshop in, in a couple of days at a um, – uh, uh, a meeting in, here in Raleigh for um, it, it, it's called the North Carolina Strawberry um, Convention but it's it's about uh, it, it's really the, the biggest one sort of in the southeast. You've got people coming in from lots and lots of different states and um Chris's workshop that he that he's running is about traceability in the the strawberry industry and strawberries are kind in, of you know, interesting especially in non-large producing states so i think you know take california and florida out of the mix and and you've got the rest of the states i think look fairly similar where you're not looking at hundreds of acres of uh, of um of strawberry production, but you're looking at uh, tens of acres would be a large, uh, you know, large farm, um, you know, or common size farm. Plus, uh, th- they're supplementing their um, their sales with with you pick or, or you know, pick your own um, uh, situations. And so, this this workshop is about um, showing uh, producers. Who, who run those types of facilities those types of businesses, what the importance of, of traceability is and it 's really all this hour long thing that chris is is delivering is based on an outbreak that happened in Oregon that that Bill um, was part of and and investigated and, and solved and it was an outbreak uh, in uh, the summer of two thousand and eleven at uh, Jackwith farms. Um, there was an E. coli l 157 7 outbreak, and there were, uh, I think, uh, sixteen or seventeen illnesses, and, and an elderly uh, woman died. Um, and the the biggest thing, and where where sort of traceability comes into it now, as I was reminded of, you know, as I was talking to Chris this morning about it, um, was that Oregon Department of Public Health or the you know Bill's Bill's group um, had epidemiology. It had a, a little piece of the picture that said, people are getting sick from a one-five seven H7 after eating strawberries at farmers markets. That's it. Not one specific farmers market, not one vendor at multiple farmers markets, just farmers markets. And this this happened that you know so they made that announcement. They went public with that and said, look, we don't know. What the what what the uh, source is? We just know that the common situation is farmers' markets. And does it mean that all strawberries at farmers' markets are contaminated? No. Um, but can we tell you which ones are? No. So so we're going to put out a statement that that uh, a blanket statement says uh, there's a health advisory. And and so um, this happened at uh, at a really bad time for that strawberry industry in Oregon because it was right at the start of their or midpoint of their um uh, of their season, um, and. And it took six or eight weeks beyond that point for the investigation to be um, uh, to point to one farm and then ultimately to uh, to deer or animal intrusion on that one farm as as being a likely source. And so the story goes that um, there was a lot of transactional Movement of strawberries from you know this one farm to brokers or to um, vendors at farmers markets and then also subsequent transactions and there's no labeling or record of those transactions as often happens in in this um, that that uh, farmers market economy a lot of the uh, transactions are done on on cash and and so it took. A bunch of time for for the investigators to to figure out where those transactions happened and then co- trace it back to to one common spot. And once they found it, um, Bill reported in, in a couple of articles that um, the investigative team walked out there and, and the strawberry season was over. But they happened to see deer, like an actual deer, in this field that was um, that was finished, and then also happened to be able to find. Deer scat, uh, and then pulled a sample from uh, from deer scat that had the outbreak strain in it. I mean, it's like the the most amazing outbreak story ever. But but another sort of case study that says if you're in an industry where there's not a lot of product differentiation, you're at risk of someone else being uh, the source of a problem that you may not be able to 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 uh, to sell your products. And it's just, I mean, another another keen. Um, outbreak that matters so much in, in, in the stuff that I do on a daily basis because that's it, – it's, it's such a teaching tool, that one, that that tells you about animal exclusion, about managing fields, about epidemiology and about the uncertainties in epidemiology and someone going forward early on and, and what that can do to an industry but it's the absolutely the right thing to do for public health because they just didn't know and they wanted to be able to stop people from getting sick,
0: so – Well, and here's the thing. If I worked in that kind of an industry where the product was undifferentiated, where there were a lot of cash transactions, um, I would get together with my colleagues in that industry and say, hey, guys, what are we going to do as an industry to make sure that either we all ante up and we all do the best we can do in terms of food safety, or we all, we all set up some kind of a system that's in, in place so that if one of us does screw up, the others of us aren't dragged down. Right. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad when, when farmers get lose money because of stuff that's not their fault, but like how many years have we been having food safety problems in fresh agricultural products. I mean, I remember going down to visit farms in South Jersey in the 1990s, late 1990s. And these guys are saying, yeah, we just need to make this go away for a few years because then it'll be on to something else. And I was like, no, guys, this is uh, this is here and it's here to stay. And you need to get comfortable with it and you need to get a plan to deal with it or um, it's going to come back and bite you because, you know, the FDA is not going to let this go. The CDC is not going to let this go. Um, You need to get your house in order, you know, from a microbiological food safety perspective. And I appreciate that you're a small business and I appreciate that this is just another headache that you have to deal with. But you need to get religion around this and you need to get it soon because it's only going to get worse, and this was before um you know this was again this was the late 1990s so this was before a lot of the more recent stuff in terms of food food safety, but it would, the issue was that at that point in the late 1990s grocery stores were starting to get religion and uh, around around fresh produce safety, and we were starting to put requirements on farmers, and the farmers were pushing back, and you know my advice to them was well. You know, you can push back, but but you're going to lose this fight in the long run. So you better you better get out ahead of it and figure out what you can do to to solve the problem because this is not going to go away. And lo and behold, I think I was I was probably right on that.
1: Yeah, and and it's you know, uh, anytime someone is faced with or an industry or an individual is faced with some sort of change and they don't see the that business return on investment, um, you know, there's, there's going to be pushback in this case this this Oregon example of these strawberries if everyone you know t- to your point if any everybody in that industry had gotten together and, and and said we're we're just gonna label our court boxes I'm gonna put my name on it and then we'll be able to know whose it is and everybody's gonna do it or or the or, or go through I mean you mentioned the the retailers getting religious about it this is an area that um that I've spent a lot of time on in the last couple of years farmers markets and the managers associated with those they they're in a weird spot because often they have a board of directors that are um you know it's it's almost like a co-op situation where the vendors or farmers themselves are are part of the management structure and they they're bucking against change and and the the manager who may have some um, some interest in um, in making sure that their best practices being followed comes up with something like if you're going to sell here, you're going to label all your stuff, and then people push back on it. But but man, if if they don't, you know something like what happened in that Jack with Farms outbreak happens, where where it doesn't traceability. You know, this is what I, what I said to Chris was better labeling transaction data traceability does not keep those 17 people from getting sick. Or that that one individual tragically from from passing away, it doesn't fix that. What it what it does is it protects the industry as a whole, and and in that it's both traceability and the management practices that that lead to to the illnesses in the public health pool. But if you want to uh you know protect your business, you better figure out how to make sure that everyone who you're competing with in that business is, is, is Trying to differentiate their products, and not everyone's painted, a, a, you know, pushed together when something bad happens. And it's, I mean, it's just, but it's as simple as, as labeling. I mean, and, and and it's why do it? Well, because you don't, you want to be able to differentiate your product. I mean, I just and sometimes I get frustrated with that. I just don't get it when 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 that when when faced with that example of well, this absolutely could happen in any other state, and it probably will happen. Um, it, it, the less cash transactions. Uh, you have, or at least some sort of documentation of it, plus uh, uh, plus labeling helps you out here, um, or or you take the risk, or you you you, you run the risk of being uh, grouped all together when something bad happens. I mean, it's their it's their business, and it's their business decision, but um, it becomes a short um, you know upfront cost to to do it versus now I have to repair the
0: entire industry. Uh, ah, yeah. arg, arg, Don. Yeah, so, well, we just, you know, we keep just keep telling the truth as we see it, you know, and little by little, hopefully it, it gets better.
1: That would be great. <laughs> uh, Don, I think, um, so we've been, we've been chatting for an hour and 25 minutes. Um, one of our listeners, uh, I don't know if we've mentioned her on the podcast before, Michelle Daniluk. I hope I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. She... Um, it's, and, it's
0: she's from Canada though so it probably you say it with a French accent right it, it's got an accent in
1: it. <laughs> over in um yeah an accent at goo, yeah well, maybe it's Dana lu yeah Dana Luke with an umblots um, <laughs> michelle Michelle mentioned of course you know we we always really just placate to the audience. She mentioned that our last episode uh that was posted episode fifty was too long <laughs> that was it. Um, so we said we would keep that in mind, and maybe we uh, maybe we call it a day today, unless there was something else that you had uh, on your on your agenda.
0: Well, if I could make it go longer, if I really had more to say, I would just just to aggravate Michelle. But no, I think we can call it a show.
1: <laughs> well, Don, um, as always, I'm, I'm I miss our I miss our time when we're when we're not together. <laughs> yes, well, I,
0: Ben. Yes,
1: you're welcome. Man reminds me when we uh when we do get on and, and do this every couple of weeks um that uh it's how much fun it is so so thanks thanks again for being available and wanting to do this for 52 episodes straight
0: yeah every,
1: it's crazy so we're, we we just keep going we have a week you know we have a year's worth of episodes now every if someone was going to re- listen to them every week
0: every week right uh,
1: it's it's incredible um so thanks thanks again uh, appreciate your time and in indulging my uh, my interest this week this is a, a Ben and Bono heavy uh, podcast
0: um, but no uh, no no problem I appreciate you taking the lead on this and and it really was important that we talk about Bill Keane in in such a, a timely manner and and reflect back on on all all that he's done um, it, it's just it's a it's a shame
1: it absolutely is um, so as as always um, uh, for our listeners, feel free to uh, head over to iTunes. If you haven't, if you're not downloading from iTunes, and you're listening to us on the website, feel free to uh, to head over to iTunes and rate it or provide us some feedback on foodsafetytalk.com. Um, and uh, and we'll we'll do this again in a couple of weeks. So thanks again. Take care, Ben. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. We are out. Yep, that was a different that was a different cast podcast today. It was, yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah, thanks. Sorry. I like ranted a little. Oh
0: bit. no, no, no. I I was feeling bad because I was uh, not picking up uh, my my uh, my end of the stick there. But no, but uh no, good good stuff. And and I appreciate all the work that you did to lay this all out so we could talk about Bill. I think that was was very appropriate.
1: Yeah, what, you know, I, I you you've probably I mean no, I, this is the part of the after dark way to tell you that you're old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's not as old as Doug. As, old as Doug, exactly. He's a grandfather. Yeah, he's a grandfather. Made my yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I mean, you have probably had colleagues that have passed away that you've uh, that you've interacted with that you know over, over your career. This, I, I, I mean, I don't think I've really had any you know someone like like this where um where where I I, I followed them really closely. I guess so
0: yeah for fortunately not um not too many but um but yeah i mean definitely i 've lost extension colleagues here at Rutgers, you know, either through accident or through, through illness. And, uh, you know, it's, it's tough when they're, and, you know, and it just only gets worse. Right. I mean, Bill yeah. Keen, we started our careers at the same time. He did some time, I think in the, in the Peace Corps or, or overseas. So he, he got his, he was graduating from college about the same time I was graduating from high school, but, but again, got our advanced degrees about the same time. It's tough when, when guys, your own age go, I mean, it's uh it's uh you know like i said uh, on the, on the show i mean you gotta you know like uh, i'm reminded of the uh uh the warren Zevon uh album uh entitled enjoy every sandwich you know you gotta uh you gotta you gotta enjoy enjoy it while you're here because it's uh this is this is the one chance we get yeah it's uh scary
1: scary stuff or or not i don't know
0: well it, it is what it is right i mean uh that's 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 life. Everybody gets one, and and they 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 all come with death at the end. So, Sir, it is the
1: where epidemiology may have some uncertainties. Life yeah. does not. Life does not. That's right. There's one one absolute. Uh, cool. I don't know what's going on. I, I'm my my office. I guess it's because it's close to the urinal. Uh, well, because the urinal's in here, but it's <laughs> like the furthest away from. Uh, any other point of the in the building like i'm in i'm almost in a corner and the wireless drops in and out every once in a while and we complain about it no one can seem to replicate it on their monitors like the and then um every once in a while this hard line goes you know slow and fast slow and fast so i don't know if there's someone downloading too much uh, BitTorrent or something
0: I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. What's well, going they're with. they're taking all the electrons out of the. Oh, we're not we're not engineers, but but I think what they're doing is they're taking all the electrons out of the wire before it gets to you. Hey, <laughs> that's. Uh,
1: I I'm not sure if you're being facetious or not, but I'm going to go with that.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure either.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um Cool. Okay. So that's that's the that's housekeeping.
0: Good. Yeah, my wife has access to my calendar. She says, "What's FST?" <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a podcast.
1: <laughs> she, I can't believe she doesn't listen to us.
0: <laughs> my mom listens though. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. cool. Cool. Um, it's at least sometimes. Although she said that she that, that like she listens on the internet, and then at, at some point it just doesn't work anymore, oh. and then she can't get it to to work. But I got her on Mavericks now, so. Good and, and I got my in-laws on on um, Windows 8. <laughs> I know, you had
1: like a. Ken,
0: I was I was killing it on the Facebook.
1: On the internets, on the web, on the internet, uh, everywhere.
0: Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I had a very nice. I had a very nice tweet from uh, um, BioRhythmist, who's one of those you know people I follow. Yeah, yeah. I call of a bastard, and he liked that. Yeah, I love that. was great. I. Uh... Kristen, looked, Kristen saw that on my Facebook. She says, what is this? I said, oh, it's just an internet thing. Yeah. It's like nerd. <laughs> so other than that, everything is quiet. I'm writing
1: some proposals. Oh, that's good. I have some internal funds. So I'm going to finish that off and I got a workshop tomorrow. But oh, I've got, so- <laughs> quick, that, you know, things are, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking at that uh, strawberry uh, convention as well about how to communicate your food safety practices to your consumers and what they're, what you need them to to
0: do like expectation wise. Yeah. That sounds like a good, good yeah. conference. And I didn't know about that whole strawberry uh, E. coli. I guess I was vaguely aware of the outbreak, but I'm glad you brought that up at the end. Cause I definitely learned something new from that. So
1: it's a good one. It's one that we use in all the farmer's market stuff. Like it just,
0: Oh, because it's really relevant.
1: Very. Yeah. yeah. And it's like every, every supply chain in farmer's markets looks like that. <laughs> so cool. All right. Well, we we'll text me. <laughs> text me later. Text me later. <laughs> <laughs> I I decided because I do like how it sounds. We sound way better when we're both on the the good microphones. That I'm going to get one of these for home,
0: and then just lock it up so your kids can't uh, exactly swing so, on it.
1: Yeah, so they can't swing on it. It's I got it. I got to do it because it it sounds so much better.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Makes it makes a difference.
1: It does makes it sound professional.
0: <laughs> it's almost like we know what we're doing.
1: Uh, I mean, it makes us sound professional. We <laughs> right. don't sound professional. Right. I get, you know, see this? see what see, see what I did there.
0: I do. I, I did. I did. I did. see what I did. See what you did. What uh-huh. you do. What I did, what I oh, I know what it was. So, speaking of writing grant proposals, so um, uh, do you do you remember Mike Rogers? Yeah. 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 So anyway, Mike. Really? Uh, yeah, Mike uh is is uh, up for reappointment and so that's the meeting that I was just at um before this one. So uh but he has fond memories of, of you and, and Doug. And he might have even been working in the lab when I came to that time when I came to visit.
1: I think so. Yeah. I think he probably was. So um he uh I think I showed this. I don't know if it was an after dark, but he like I was his RA.
0: He, yes, he mentioned that you you made an impression on him. We had a, I had a meeting with him because he's working uh, he's helping us out with uh, Dane's hand washing research stuff, and he did mention that you were his RA, <laughs>
1: which is bizarre. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, good good stuff. We'll say hi to him. We're we're friends on Facebook. We haven't really interacted. Oh,
0: before. okay.
1: Um, since back
0: in back in the Guelph days, did you did you know he doesn't like spiders? No, he really is scared of spiders. So. Now that I found that out about him, I torment him.
1: Excellent. I know that he is a big Toronto Maple Leafs fan.
0: <laughs> yeah, we talked, about, uh, we talked about the mayor at our meeting. Oh,
1: <laughs> how could you not?
0: <laughs> Apparently he stole someone's seat at a baseball game.
1: He did, yeah. Uh, 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 indie rocker. Indie rocker, yeah. Of course he did. And, and was, um, uh, <laughs> he uh, was photographed eating a bunch of chicken wings while he's on a diet.
0: Of course. Well, chicken wings are, are good, though, right? Depends
1: on what your diet is, right? That's what I thought. People have made a big deal. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I I I think chicken wings are a diet food.
1: Wings are good. They're, mean, they're, they're they're certainly paleo. They're definitely paleo. They could be Atkins. They could. Um, I, yeah, it, 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 I didn't see him eating any uh, blue cheese and carrot sticks or celery. So I mean, it could be. Could be paleo, could be uh, could be Atkins. I don't know. Who knows, who knows what the what the mayor's doing? But I love him. Uh, yeah, very. They're very upset about it. I told them that he's going to get reelected, or I think he will. And he's very entertaining.
0: <laughs> but apparently, I was, This is, this came up in the conversation with Mike. Is that? But apparently, he has no power. Right? They've they've essentially stripped him of all of his powers.
1: Yeah, he uh, controls, he has no budget, and uh, he has a vote on council like everyone else.
0: Yeah, and but they can't fire him, apparently. No,
1: no. Well, I mean, for for democracy reasons. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I I do support, I'm going to use that
0: yeah, next for democ- time, for democracy
1: reasons. He's voted in by the people. They've got to vote him out. I'm, I'm all about that. I actually agree with that. He has not been convicted of any crime.
0: That's uh, true. That's but, true. You know, you get into this weird... The intelligent thing to do would be to resign. Oh, well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> but again, that's the intelligent thing
1: to do. But we do set a, a dangerous precedent uh, once, uh, you know, people who disagree with someone who's elected uh, decide that he shouldn't be or she shouldn't be in office anymore. So I'm... And I'm not not a Ford supporter. And in fact, that's probably my uh, my hippie liberalism coming through. <laughs> um, but you get into this weird spot where people just might not agree with you, so they get rid of you. Um, although he's, it's not about his policy. (laughs) No. Right. (laughs) Oh, cool. All right. Well, I should head out. Yep. Uh, Um, good to chat. And, uh, yeah. So we're, I think we got everything. We're
0: we're set. We're scheduled. We have responsibilities assigned. Um, it all's right in the world. Sounds good. And we are almost like caught up because
1: we'll get this episode edited maybe today and, uh, get the, uh, um, get the notes up and we'll be good. It always makes me feel good when we don't have two sitting here.
0: Oh, I know. Well, we, we, right now, as soon as we hang up, we'll have two, but, but we'll, we'll push one out. It's almost done. All right. Perfect. Take care, Ben. Bye. Bye.